Hello and welcome to Speaking Out Mental Health and Football. I'm your host, Callum Archibald. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Ruth Fox. Ruth is a prominent figure on social media, discussing her mental health openly and providing a platform for discussion. She's also an author. Her book, Within the White Lines, How the Beautiful Game Saved My Life, is due out in November. I sat down for a coffee with Ruth Fox to discuss her relationship between football and mental health. What I found is, yeah, some things are quite difficult. When you've got, like my, I don't really have a job title. I just do what I do and share my story and talk to people and stuff. But So I think it's fine because that is me and it's kind of evolved into a job and into hopefully a money-earning job at some point. Um, but I think when, when you are in a, in a position like a teacher or a nurse or something with a specific role and profession, I think if you're kind of... I mean, I know they say like retweets aren't endorsements and things like that, but I think there is a fine line between professional and personal, and um, I think it's important that we um, draw draw a line sometimes. Um, but for me, it's kind of all blurs into one because yeah. mental health is what I do, but it's also my mental health is something I've got to um, look at on a daily basis and, and try and control as best I can without professional support, which is the situation I'm in at the moment. So. In terms of kind of you working in that, did that come as a kind of result of your own mental health? Was that like a product of it? Yeah, so basically, um, having reached my lowest point probably in November, so not too long ago, um, I decided to write it all down in January and published it, self published it as an ebook on Amazon, just in the hope that it would help somebody not go through what I've been through. Um, and I wasn't expecting a response at all. I just hoped that it would help one one person. Um, when I saw that like 13 people had bought it, I was like, okay, that's just my friends and family <laughs> and the few Twitter followers I have. Um, but then it sold like 350 copies and caught on um, with various kind of local media stations, BBC Cambridgeshire, St Albans Radio, um, Heart FM. And then it expanded further and... Um, Sky Sports News wanted an interview with me um, where they drove down from Liverpool and, and spent the day with me recording um, they then asked me to come back for a live interview um, on Mental Health Awareness Week um, and I think it was probably a talk that I did um, which I got asked to do very early on so probably in, in February this random guy messaged me and was like um, would you like to come up and talk at this teacher conference in Newcastle um, to about 100 teachers just about your, your story and I'd never spoken in front of an audience in my life never been a drama person probably tell um, <laughs> and um, and I was like yeah why not and it was like really weird because he paid for the train tickets in the hotel they arrived in the post and I was like this could be anyone <laughs> this could be some random guy and the, the rest could have been history <laughs> that could have been the end of me but you know I took a risk I, I got the train which he'd kindly bought tickets for um, and I, I did this talk and I was the keynote speaker and um, I think for me the response from that night was something I won't ever forget um, I remember I'd finished my, my talk and um, just sharing my story and, and you know people were applauding as I stood there and then I went back to sit in my seat and people were still applauding and um, it's at that moment when I got, got back to my hotel room that night with no, no funny business <laughs> at all um, that I realised this is what I'm, this is what I want to do. Um, I felt really at home. I wasn't nervous at all, 
and just the, the response afterwards I had a teacher come up to me in like floods of tears at the end of it um, and just from that moment I knew this is this is I do want to talk to people um, so yeah I think since then I've spoken in, in several schools up and down the country um, and have done more radio interviews I think I've been on BBC Cambridge like seven times I'm surprised they're not bored of the sound of my voice by now um, and, and yeah signed a contract to get my book published in paperback which will be out in November so finishing the writing process now which is stressful in itself but um, yeah I think to say it's kind of evolved into a job I think is, is right um, I've got a few links with, with various charities now and that's what this time period is for to connect with people and link with people and see how I can move forwards but I think there's a real market probably the wrong word but there's a real gap where I especially think that young people can relate to me because I'm 19 left school this time last year and I've got you know messages for young people which I think are really important so yeah hopefully it will lead on to um, a, a fixed job where I can travel around the country and just share my story and talk to people and just raise awareness for mental health I think which is key and how key do you think kind of football and sport has been in all of this um in my own journey yeah in your own journey or in your professional I mean like the same but like <laughs> yeah, they are the same <laughs> you know, um, um, yeah in your kind I of think personal journey in my personal journey um, I think it's really <laughs> it's really funny when I was first diagnosed with depression when I was 14 um, I one of the triggers for me was an injury um, I pulled a ligament in my upper back which was the first ever injury I'd got. It was a minor injury. I, only, I was only off sport for about three weeks, but for me, I didn't realise how catastrophic that would be. Um, it was the same period that my sister went to uni, and so it's like a family member being taken away. And I really, really struggled to deal with that, although at the time I didn't really know it was caused by that, um, only in kind of hindsight and, and with the insight I now have. Um, so... When the hardest event of my life happened, my sister going to uni, I didn't have that sport outlet that I'd always had. Um, so in that, that in itself I struggled with because I always want to be the best I can be. And it felt like everyone was improving around me and I couldn't catch up with them because it, and it wasn't my fault. Um, I always do everything I can to be the best I can be. And when something's put in your place, that put in your way that you can't control, it's very, very difficult. Um, so... When the injury recovered, I absolutely trained too much and went the opposite way. Um, I controlled my eating a lot. I lost a lot of weight. Um, and I enjoyed that aspect of control in my life um, because everything else was completely going to pot. Um, and that's when I got like diagnosed and put on medication. Um, but the funny thing was when, yeah, when the physical injury had recovered, I didn't enjoy sport at all, um, which I, was really unusual for me. Like I'd always been a really sporty person and um, for me that's kind of one of the symptoms I guess that I knew that something wasn't quite right um, and I quit I quit football when I was when I was 14 I had a training camp at St George's Park with the Independent Schools Football Association which was probably the pinnacle of my, my football career <laughs> and, and I knew that would be the end of it and I didn't think I'd ever play again um, it was just the social side I really struggled to deal with um, and yeah, I, I genuinely think that was because of, of the mental illness that I was experiencing. Um, it's just easier for me to just... I'm a, I'm a firm believer if you don't enjoy something, don't do it. And, and I wasn't enjoying it, so I quit. Um, and I quit for two years, and I made a comeback in the summer of 2016. Um, 
and during my most recent bout, which was when I was 17 years old, and that was December of 2016, um, football was and, and sport in general was like more of a um, a saviour, I guess. Like I was determined for it not to be taken away from me for the second time. Um, I've had experiences where I'd come back from A&E from self-harming and suicidal thoughts, get back at like four in the morning and, and still be on the football pitch the same day if I had a game. And although I wasn't playing at my best and there were, you know, I couldn't really focus entirely on it, um, it was my place where I could be me and be myself. And I always say, like, once you cross those white lines, you're a completely different person. Um, so, yeah, I think the only time I couldn't play was when I was in hospital in November. Um... So yeah, I've had very two different, very different experiences, um, and I can understand why people would stop playing, and, and that's the experience I had as well. But um, yeah, I think sometimes you just got to plow on and have continue that release that that it gives. The word is free, but yeah, it's interesting that kind of two aspects of it as well. Like yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I think pressure does come into it a lot. Um, I think when I was this most recent most recent stuff I was playing at a much higher level so I was playing for Cambridge United and I dropped I had a word with my manager and I actually dropped down to play in reserve team football um, whilst I was in a quite a crisis point in my life um, purely so I didn't have any pressure the reserve team football was very unpressurised and also it meant I could play 90 minutes every week if I was playing with the first team I'd be on the bench and therefore I might travel literally 100 miles and play 10 minutes or play no minutes and that didn't do anything positive for my mental health so there was a good communication there between my coaches and recognising that playing reserve team football was probably the best option for me at that time Um, so yeah I think um, I think pressure does come into it um, a huge amount and yeah, I think I lost my identity slightly when I when I stopped playing. Um, I was always known as the girl who plays football because it was really unusual to play football at that time. Um, <laughs> I remember kind of like RE debates in school, and we'd talk about inequality, and I'd be like, "Well, women don't get paid as much playing football as men," and like everyone knew that was my argument all the time, and no one could like disagree with me. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah. I mean that paid off I got an A star so <laughs> um, but yeah it was hard because that was that was who I was and, yeah. and without that I tried to fill the gap with other things I think I um, had England rounders trials funnily enough and like ranked 200th in a country across country and cycled the width of the country with my dad and just tried to fill in that void that football kind of I lost with football but it was never the same it was never that camaraderie of the team and um the buzz was never the same, so I think coming back to, coming back to football for me marked a full and conclusive recovery from depression, and I thought that I would never have to go through it ever again. Um, but sadly, I was wrong. So, so you kind of associate football with kind of being your like outlet, like oh, if I'm doing well at football and I'm happy playing it, that for you signifies like your mental health is in a good place. Oh, yeah. it, it, so it did anyway. Yeah, I think so. I think. Um, yeah, I think the two go hand in hand. Like, um, if you're not going to get headspace, I feel like you can't fully focus on it. And I think that's where I think we just need more education within the sporting world about mental health and the way it, it, it impacts people and performances. And um, yeah, I think it's it's absolutely pivotal. Um, also, especially like in 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 the, the Premier League and stuff, there's so much pressure and there's so much. Um, 
pressure on like one game and the amount of like abuse players get when they have a bad game um, you know it's no wonder that people won't always be at their best um, I think people always forget about the emotional side of football and the, the game and one person I've recently spoken to was Drew Broughton who um, played for MK Dons um, he had spells elsewhere I think Norwich um, he, he was at loads of clubs but he's spoken to me recently um, about just how lost he was in the game and you know how he kind of gave it everything but it felt like he was kind of always being left behind and felt slightly an outsider and you know he's been through his own challenges you know he was lost his um, once he retired he um, you know had trouble with his family his home um, his mental health and it's been really interesting talking to him because he's so honest about how demanding the game is even at kind of that level um, and why he didn't make it right to the top and, and yeah I think people are more aware of the challenges that, that, that athletes face these days but I still think that's a huge huge way to go yeah um, so in terms of kind of what you're doing from here you're talking about the book and stuff mm-hmm. um, what would it be like your aims or your goals with mental health work non-mental health work as well kind of yeah. for you going forward um, I think my ultimate goal is just to impact as many people as possible um, I always say I just want to impact one person and I think that makes everything worth it but um, I don't really have any kind of solid uh, goals I've got a lot of kind of opportunities to speak coming up at, at various award ceremonies and um, in schools and stuff as well I think yeah I just I want to impact young people in particular I always want to give them a talk that I wish I'd had at 13 14 years of age and maybe I would have been better prepared to deal with the challenges that I faced if I knew what I was facing because when I was 14 I had no idea what mental illness was and how much it could impact impact somebody like I had the ideal upbringing and had everything um had a really stable family life I went to a private school sporty academic and I just want to show people that this can affect anyone and everyone um so yeah for me I think basing my work on young people whilst I'm still a young person myself is 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 at the forefront of what I want to do um I really want to do more work um with football clubs and and to help them recognize the importance of mental health um I'm I'm still linked with the community trust at Cambridge United and have just um they've just announced that they're getting 10 football coaches mental health first aid trained and um, my aim is to get every single football coach mental health first aid trained um, but if I can be the catalyst to get 10 then for me that's a step in the right direction and um, a journey of a million miles begins with a I think it's a thousand miles but we can say a million miles begins with a single step where however long it is it's still <laughs> still that initial step counts um, so yeah I think um, I, w- I, I want to focus on three areas the mental health system as a whole the education system and football coaches and coaching qualifications and with in terms of the mental health services I guess the initial step I've made is contacting my local MP having a chat with him and taking my story higher up to the uh, I don't know what the name is someone to do with mental health up up there <laughs> um, one of those important people um, so hopefully we'll be talking to them and, and I've had a lot of letdowns in my care and treatment of with the mental health services um which have been very difficult to deal with so I just want to improve that and want people to feel safe and secure in their treatment with with regards to mental health um, secondly with the education system I recognise that me on my own as a 
19 year old with very little qualifications and um, much to give um, I can't change anything but I'm an ambassador for a charity called the Shore Mind Foundation which put forward a petition to get mental health within education called Education, and they got 100,000 um, signatures the first ever mental health charity to get 100,000 signatures which means it will go to um, Parliament and now we've seen change from the Department of Education that will get mental health within PSHE sessions in schools so that's another step in the right direction also I always think if I can um, go into as many schools as I can off my own back um, I'm willing to travel up and down the country to talk to young people then you know that in itself is my own way of trying to make an impact because I, I recognise I can't do everything um, and then thirdly with the as I said with the sport coaches um, I think mental health needs to be incorporated in the level one coaching um, safeguarding is um, I remember I did my FA safeguarding um, course which is a three hours uh, in an evening and um, I asked at the end what about self-harm um, what about mental health issues um, they talk about neglect and um, emotional and physical abuse and the relationship between coaches and players and the vulnerability of young people yet they never talk about mental health <laughs> and I just feel like there's a huge huge gap there um, because obviously things like abuse of any kind is going to lead to mental health issues anyway and yeah to me it just doesn't make sense so I've, I've been in touch with um, Michael Bennett who is the head of player welfare at the PFA and hopefully that's another way of yeah like getting getting my just doing my tiny little bit to try and change things um, so yeah overall I don't really have a plan at all but I kind of just go with the flow take it day by day yeah. and try and make an impact on as many people as I can just kind of making those opportunities and trying to do the things that you would have liked to say kind of in your own experiences absolutely that kind of idea. I think that's that's something that I'm really really passionate about um, in my um, own experiences I've been let down 17 times by professionals from the age of 14 to, to probably 18 um, and that's a huge amount um, and it's not just obviously it's not just once but also it's not just when I was kind of feeling a little bit bad it was when I was actually at crisis point and there's been times when I've called an ambulance and they wouldn't come there's been times when I was discharged from hospital and all care around me was cut off because I moved counties they had different NHS funds and therefore all my care was, was cut off I've had times when I've been to A&E waited six to eight hours um, for someone to help me and the response has just been so incredibly disappointing like no referral to any services at all when I threatened to overdose, they told me that amount of medication wouldn't kill you anyway. Um, and, yeah, there's just been so many times when there's been opportunities for people to intervene and to prevent me from deteriorating. And, then, you know, they haven't been recognised, even though I was reaching out for help. So, for me, I just want people to be listened to. And if they have the courage to reach out and recognise they need help and have the courage to ask for help, whether that means waiting in an A&E ward for six to eight hours which shouldn't be the case anyway um i just think i think there needs to be continuity across the whole country it shouldn't matter where you live um i'm based quite a lot in cambridge but i don't live there cambridge have a um a resource where if you ring, ring 111 nhs 111 and then press two you go straight through to a mental health crisis team um on the phone and um in bedfordshire where i live or in hertfordshire they don't have that so 
Not only is it confusing, because what if a student who, you know, went to school in Cambridge lived in Bedfordshire and they're learning about these resources that they can access, they can't actually access it because they don't live there. Um, also, um, it just means that there'll be more and more um, A&E visits for people with mental health issues and self-harming in, in crisis. I think that the option two resource has decreased A&E visits for mental health by 30% in Cambridge and Peterborough. Um, so it's not really rocket science. Um, so yeah, I think GPs need to be more aware on how to deal with mental health. Um, people need to be talking more about suicide and being able to ask the question, do you feel suicidal? We're scared of that word. Um, we don't need to be. Um, and yeah, uh, you're right. I just want to put in place things so that people don't fall through the gaps that I fell through. Um, so yeah. yeah. That's really positive. But um, just picking up on something you said there, I know people are quite... I think it's kind of suicide and mental health are kind of taboo words for a lot of people who want to kind of make that first step and make that first so yeah it, with regards to you kind of putting your things down on paper how did mm-hmm. you kind of make that that first step into actually because that must have been quite difficult and quite a like brave thing yeah. for you to um, put yourself out there and yeah to be honest um when i first wrote down my story in um january i didn't write it for anyone else i wrote it for me because i was the only one that knew a lot of what had happened to me because um, I was living at university, my parents didn't know the ins and outs of, you know, what, what happened and, and how dark it got, and, and I felt the need to get it off my chest and put it on a piece of paper, basically. Um, I guess after a few days, I thought, you know what, my parents probably, I probably owe them to, to read it, um, just so that we're on the same wavelength. Um, and I wrote it to my parents, and I also wrote it to one of my coaches, um, and he was actually the one that was like... Um, you know, maybe this could help somebody. Um, and I think, for me, writing it wasn't hard. It was the pressing the publish button, which was the hardest thing. Um, just purely because that was my most vulnerable times out there uh, in the public domain. And I think the thing which sticks with me now, and when I'm sitting in the car driving to some far-off place like Stoke or Birmingham or wherever it might be, <laughs> um, or Biggleswade, um, I think... The thing that always sticks in my head when I'm sitting in the car is if I can impact just one person. The fear of talking in front of 100 people, the fear of publishing my book, the fear of negative comments, the fear of negative reviews. It's all overridden by the fact that this could be one person that you could um, you could change their life, you could save their life, you could impact their life. And that, for me, is, is worth everything that I do. But hitting the publish button is the minute that makes it real, isn't it? Mm. Like, because, like you say, you did it for yourself, and it's, yeah. even though it's it's out there, nobody knows about it, so it's not real. And then that kind mm. of sharing with it is a really, really big first step, I think. And like you say, did we say a million miles or a thousand? It was a million. <laughs> it was a million. A million mile journey starts with a single step, exactly, and that's kind yeah. of your journey starting at that moment where you decided to be honest and share what was going on with yeah yeah with people. I think. I think the most prominent part of my book that people will read both in the ebook that I originally posted and also the book paperback that will be coming out is my suicide letter which I do write in full and, and publish it there and the reason why I do that is because I wanted to be 100% real and honest and I don't think I could have uh, sort of scratched away at the surface of what I was going through if I didn't include that because 
if I just wrote I wrote my suicide letter, it just doesn't have that same impact. Whereas if I get people to actually read it and, and recognise that was the point that I was at and feel that emotion and read the words and um, I think that's that was the hardest thing to put in because I knew people around me would, would read it um, and family and friends would read it and think like wow this is how close we came to losing her so I think for me I think that's one of the things that kind of makes my story slash book slightly different because you know I've never read that in anyone else's book and I think for me if I'm going to be slightly honest I may as well be 110% honest so I think for me that was the hardest bit to that was the most ne- thing that I was most nervous about publishing but um, I think people respect honesty and um, that's kind of the response that I've got that's, that is as ro- kind of honest and raw as it gets as well isn't it that's kind of you at your yeah. that, that moment and I think you're right that's the only way that we can kind of get these discussions out in the open is by saying look this is yeah. this is where some people get to exactly. it's okay to kind of talk about this stuff exactly. it's actually healthy to talk about this stuff instead of just thinking oh I'm the only person who knows what's going on if you talk mm-hmm. to somebody maybe yeah. you're not the only person in that situation absolutely yeah um, I think I think as I said like with my story and with people who have maybe um, taken a step back away from me for example people I knew in like primary school or people who maybe are teammates of me and haven't really spoken to me about emotional stuff or people that aren't in my close network it shocked them a lot because you know these are people who know me as the happy-go-lucky you know forefront of the banter terrible banter um you know never really showed a worry in the world at all and um always a high achiever and smile on my face and, and stuff like that which just is the complete polar opposite to someone in that state and I think as I said before that is one of the messages I do try and put across like you just never know what's going on inside someone else's head um so the best thing we can do is just be kind to everyone um a smile I always say like a smile in the street could actually make someone's day and and you just don't know what they've been through that day or what they're going through um so yeah I think for a lot of people around me who didn't know the ins and outs of my story or didn't even know that I suffered from depression um it was it was a real kind of eye-opener um I think one person that's actually written a chapter of my book now is my old PE teacher and just sorry um just um, <laughs> um just the kind of the, the difference between the girl I was at, in primary school, um, a high achiever, scored 35 goals a season, um, playing football on the, on the playground with the boys, um, went off to one of the best prim- private schools in the area. Um, I just think for him it was a real... When I showed him the story, I think for him it was like, wow, um, I would never ever have thought that would happen to you. So I think it's, it's great that I've got other people's perspectives in there. Um, because I also recognise that not everyone is going to go through mental illness. Um, we all go through our, our ups and downs, and that's okay. But it's important to recognise that it's a scale with mental health, and it's mental health on one end, and, and mental illness on the other hand, end. And we all have days where we're not so great, and we've got maybe bad mental health. But it doesn't mean that you've got a mental illness. And I think because we're talking so much more about mental health, I think there is a slight risk that we're going to. Um, kind of tell everyone that they've got this diagnosis that they maybe don't um like I think using the word like I'm really OCD because I like my pens to be straight or this weather is so bipolar or whatever you know um I think the talking about it is great I think there's two things I think one we need to make sure we distinguish between the two polar 
opposites on the spectrum. Um, like, for example, if a family member passes away, you know, we're allowed to have a few bad days. It does not mean that you're suffering from depression. Um, so I think that's, that's really important, that we educate ourselves. So, yeah, in my book, as a kind of side, is... I think I include my sister's point of view, I include my best friend's point of view, I include my teacher's point of view, I include my old primary school teacher's point of view because I recognise those four people have never suffered from mental illness but they've seen me deteriorate, I guess, in front of their eyes. So I think it's important for me to address everybody. Mental health is something we all have um, and mental illness is something we will all come across because one in four people will struggle with it. And therefore I wanted to reach people who might be supporting a friend who's going through it. Um, and that's where my other points of view, I think, will reach different people. I think, despite having really dark bits that I've written in my book, I think the most prominent thing will be my sister's chapter because it will relate to a lot of people, and I think people won't... <laughs> I didn't realise the impact I was having on her and you know, how hard it was for her, and we don't think about that. We don't think about the people around us that are impacted or affected, Um so yeah, I think it's important that we... I mean, this isn't something that just you and I should be talking about. This is something that we all need to be talking about because we all have mental health and we're all going to come across someone who has mental illness and, you know, it just needs to be the norm. Um, not only do we... I, I, I say at the moment we're talking the talk about mental health. There are so many awareness campaigns. We, we have Mental Health Awareness Week. We have World Suicide Prevention Day. We have World Mental Health Day. But we need to actually walk the walk as well and we need to know how to deal with it in our workplace um, in our football clubs in our sports clubs in our schools um, and the resources and the provisions need to be there to support those who are struggling and that draws Ruth Fox's episode to a close I'd like to thank Ruth for sharing her story and her thoughts on mental health and football you can pre-order her book on Amazon Within the White Lines How the Beautiful Game Saved My Life and it's out on the 5th of November. Thank you once again for listening, and don't forget to share, subscribe, and review the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at out underscore pod, that's O-U-T underscore P-O-D. You've been listening to Speaking Out Mental Health and Football.